0: You're listening to The Branches HB Podcast. By the way, we are in our second week of this Advent series entitled Sent. We're talking about the setting and the nature of Jesus' purpose when he was sent by God into this world and arrived in this world. And last week we looked at this Isaiah 53 prophecy, the chapter 53 of Isaiah, where Jesus was sent into this setting of suffering. That's what we talked about. And it was so acute, in fact, that the The name that was given to Jesus, he's a man of suffering in that chapter. It was a pretty poignant statement. And there's a lot of verses in that chapter that say so many things about his experience. There's this verse that we read last week, verse 9 of Isaiah 53. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. This is, of course, speaking to his suffering. Though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. That's a very important statement. It ties in with where we're going this morning. Jesus was, yes, sent into suffering, but he was sent to speak the truth. No deceit was found in his mouth. And in the spirit of truthfulness this morning, we're going to play a little game. You guys ready for this? All right, you had breakfast. Some of you had coffee. You ready for a game? Two truths and a lie about myself. I don't know if you guys have ever played this before. I make some factual statements about my life. Potentially, you know, that lie as well. You've got to identify What is the lie? Okay, let me give you some facts about my life. First of all, I learned to ride a bike when I was 19 years old. I know, you're you're wishing that's a lie. You're, you're, You're hoping that it's a lie. Second, I was first chair saxophone all through grade school until Andrew Bartolotta, my arch nemesis, showed up in junior high from out of town and subverted me. And third, I wore a kangaroo suit... To my senior prom. Okay, just think about it for a second, all right? Let's see which one's the lie. None of them! None of them! It's all true! And I know you're wishing they were all lies, but it's all true! Isn't that terrible? You know, I told my wife, man, I want to throw in something that, like, makes me seem a little bit more desirable as a person. She's like, no, give them the real stuff. No, don't soften it at all. I say... Winnie, you know, that's to a point. People like that. Because it's like, all oh, people like that kind of stuff when you do that. I go, they like it to a point. That has a diminishing return at a certain point. Like, I have a reverse mortgage with this congregation. It feels like by the time I tell all my stories at the end of my pastorate, I'm not going to have any equity left with any of you. But, but I'm not telling any lies today, all right? You guys already know it from the beginning. No deceit was in Jesus' mouth. No deceit will be found in my mouth. And, and let me tell you, that's one of the most astonishing things. One of the most refreshing things about the ministry of Jesus was that he was sent into this world to speak the truth. The truth, right? I mean, in John's telling of the Christmas story, I cited it last week, at least the first half of this verse. John chapter 1, verse 14. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, The rest of it is this that I didn't read. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of what? Grace and truth and truth. And in the passage we're going to be studying this morning, there is going to be a lot of truth, hard truth spoken by Jesus. John chapter 8. You can open up there with me right now if you'd like. If you need a Bible, one of the ushers will pass one to you. You can raise your hand up. We're reading a substantial portion of... Of John chapter 8. That's what we do here at Branches. We work through the scriptures. Even in an Advent series, we really believe that this is the truth. We want to hear from Jesus. It's not my opinions and your opinions, and we just kind of see where we land at the end. It's really relying on the Word of God to speak truth to all of us. So here we are, John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12 as Jesus begins to confront some crowds with the truth. Verse 12, John 8, it's on the screens. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I am going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are true because I'm not alone. I stand with the father who sent me. In your own law, it is written that the testimony of two witnesses is true. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the father who sent me. Then they asked him, where is your father? You do not know me or my father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple courts near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his hour had not yet come. Once more Jesus said to them, I am going away and you will look for me and you will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. If you do not believe that I am he, you will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked. Just what have I been telling you from the beginning? Jesus replied. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is trustworthy. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am he and that I do nothing on my own but speak just what the Father has taught me. The one who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many believed in him. To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we shall be set free? Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Now, a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So, if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you're Abraham's descendants. Yes, you are looking for a way to kill me, because you have no room for my word. I am telling you what I have seen in my father's presence, and you are doing what you have heard from your father. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did. As it is, you are looking for a way to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your own father. We are not illegitimate children. They protested. The only father we have is God himself. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell the truth, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? Whoever belongs to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. In this exchange, right? There's a lot going on here. Jesus is speaking a lot of truth. In this exchange, what's being contested is the validity of Jesus' identity and the truthfulness of what he's speaking, his words, his testimony. Jesus says in verse 12, this is how it all begins. I am the light of the world. Whoever believes in me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. It's a statement about the validity of his identity from God. You have to understand the setting a little bit here, which John gives us in his gospel. This is taking place in the women's court. This is the place where they would actually offer their gifts for the temple. And so as Jesus is standing there, he's also standing amidst some towers, with these oil lamps at the very top, because this would likely be taking place during the Feast of Tabernacles. They would have these towers 75 feet high with these oil lamps at the very top. They'd light up at night and it would give light to the whole of the city. You would see the temple all across Jerusalem. And this is like goals for Christmas time at my house in HB. Like, I want you all to see my house from wherever you are. I'm working toward it. But what Jesus is saying is, I'm the light. I'm the light, not this temple institution. In the Feast of Tabernacles, when they lit up these oil lamps, they were symbolizing the pillar of fire that led the Israelites, that God used to lead the Israelites from slavery to freedom to the promised land. And Jesus is saying, I'm the pillar of fire, not this religious institution and what it's become. If you believe in me, if you follow me, You won't walk in darkness. You'll receive the light of life. That pillar of fire, the Holy Spirit will indwell you, and you will know how to live. You'll know how to find life. Now, the crowds challenge him. They ask, well, how can he testify on his own behalf? It's like, oh, cool story, Jesus. Way to assert yourself. And Jesus says, oh, it's not just my testimony. I have a witness that I can call to the stand. Right In verse 18, it's the Father who sent him. How about that for corroborating witness testimony? That's what Jesus is asserting here, that that interlocked relationship with the Father. Well, the Father will speak to who I am. And the nature of that interlocking relationship, you can see it in Jesus' words. He says he only speaks the trustworthy judgments of his Father in heaven. That's verse 26. And he lives to do only what pleases his father in verse 29. Now that loyalty to God, to say only what God wants him to say and to live only as, you know, what pleases his father in heaven, it puts Jesus in some precarious places, does it not? I mean, right here, this is a very precarious place that Jesus has been led to by God, by saying what God wants him to say and living to please God. Man, God is not leading Jesus to win friends and influence people, if you know what I mean, right? I mean, he is speaking the truth. And as he speaks the truth, he claims a lot of things about the crowd in front of him. He says, they neither know him, and by extension, they do not know the Father. Verse 19, he tells them they are from below. And if they do not believe in him, they will die in their sins. That's verse 24. He accuses them of being illegitimate children of Abraham, which is basically desecrating their religious and political heritage as a people. And then the real clincher is he says, Their father is Satan, the deceiver. He says, Their native language is deceit. And that'd be like me saying to all you guys today look, your native language isn't English, it's lies, and you're not from America, you're from hell. Jesus spoke the truth. And wow, the truth can be really dangerous, can't it? Really dangerous. As much as the truth can be challenging, it's also the lifeblood of relationships and society. Because the truth is necessary for trust. And you need trust in relationships, right? For them to work, you need trust in society for it to work. Where there's mistrust, where there's lies, where there's deceit, where there's have truths, where there's no truth, you lose trust and you lose relationships and you lose society as a whole. And I've been born into a society in America where trust has absolutely been eroded more and more and more over my lifetime. Am I right? I know I am. I'm not always right about the things that I assert, right? but I know I'm right about this because I checked okay there is facts that you can research that tell you trust has eroded more and more and more in this society look at this study that started in 1958 it was the first time the national election study did an inventory about trust in government and at the time in 1958 over three quarters of Americans believed that our government would do the right thing most if not you know, always in the situations where it was making decisions. It would do the right thing. Over three-fourths of our society believe that the government would do the right thing. You know where it's at today? It's less than one-fourth of our society believes that the government will do the right thing most of the time. And among Gen Zers, that's the youngest group Survey we got Gen Zers in there, only 17% of you TikTokers trust in the government. You're the lowest of the low. You're the historic low. In all the time that it's been surveyed of trust in our government. But it's not just the government that we lack trust in. We don't trust our public health officials. We don't trust our public workers. We don't trust corporations. We don't trust Wall Street. Most people in America don't trust the institution of the church anymore. And so what you see in the absence of all this trust is all these alternatives that are rising up and becoming more popular in our society. The alt-right, the far left, alternative medicine, pseudoscience, and instead of organized religion, you've got this generalized spirituality. If people believe that the predominant power centers and disciplines, that you could trust them, they wouldn't be looking to these alternatives, right? But it's because that mainstream has lost the faith of a lot of people in our country that these other movements have sort of risen in power. And hey, I'm sympathetic to it if you're in that camp because I don't believe in any of the stuff that's going on. But I guess I'm just an equal opportunity skeptic because I think all your alternatives that you come up with are just as false as the mainstream. Now, why am I so skeptical about everything? And why are you skeptical about the things that you are skeptical about? Why do we lack trust in one or all of these institutions? I think we've all sort of gathered evidence over our lifetime that has sort of built this case that at every layer of American society, every figurehead, every organized group, they say one thing in public, but they're driven by another ulterior motive. And if we could boil down that shared quality and characteristic, the spirit that's sort of inhabiting a lot of the institutions of our society, I think we would boil it down to this word. Self-interest. Self-interest. Everywhere you look. merck it's this uh, pharmaceutical company. They just developed this breakthrough, uh, you know, antiviral drug that you can take in a pill form to treat COVID. And the the whole treatment program costs them a, a little bit less than 20 bucks to produce. And they're gonna charge $740 for it in America. Those are some pretty amazing profit margins, wouldn't you agree with me? Oh, you know, we shut down society, we got all this trouble, all these people died. Look at the profit margins! Is it any surprise that we're lacking some trust in these institutions? But I tell you, I'm equal opportunity. I think it's the same sort of profit margins that you see from Dr. Disgrace selling his alternative supplements on YouTube. I think he's reaching for the same sort of profit margins as everybody else. It's self-interest. And it's everywhere we look. Trust requires mutuality. It requires some give and take. But our society is devolving. It's melting into a free-for-all where it's take what you can. We're living in the richest time in American history because we printed so much money. This is the time of greatest opulence and froth across our society and everybody just wants more. And you can see it on the TV, right? That you got organized groups that are looting retail stores. But guys, it's not just the retail stores. Organized groups have been looting our institutions for decades and making a killing. That seems to be the only thing that we share in common with each other now in America. Self-interest, shared self-interest seems to really bring the American band together. That's all that it is today. If I can benefit while you benefit, well, let's benefit together. In my generation, I think we've adapted to this environment by becoming increasingly narcissistic. Because we've been raised to not have any faith in the structures and organization of society. So we've said, you know what, I'm going to serve myself all the more. I don't want any responsibility. I don't want any ties to anybody. I want to be free to do what I want when I want. And that's what really concerns me for the future. Because I think we're going to arrive in a day when we look around and when the church is most needed, we're going to say, hey, where is it? And it will have died because of self-interest. Now, I've been talking a lot about a lack of trust in our society and the social fabric sort of fraying and tearing. And I've been talking about an abundance of self-interest. But what I'm really talking about when I talk about all this is sin. I'm talking about the fact that the world is in slavery to sin. And it is doing the works of its father, the father of lies. You see, the same self-interest of our society at all these layers, but the same self-interest that you can see just beneath the surface in John chapter 8. Here you've got this group that's saying, we're the genuine children of Abraham. We're so spiritual. We're so godly and holy. And then when a true prophet comes and speaks the truth from God and is without sin, and he challenges their influence and their expansion, guess what? They want to murder him. They want to do away with him. The very people that should have accepted and celebrated and loved and believed in Jesus, they're the ones who want to murder him because he spoke the truth. Jesus is, to me, Such a breath of fresh air when you're asphyxiating in all this conversation. He is a breath of fresh air. He is the light of the world amidst darkness. He's more than the light of the world in this passage. He is a flamethrower over the world. Like, he is destroying darkness in this passage, like he is so prone to do through the gospels. He was sent to speak the truth. And I love that he spoke the truth at any cost, even if it lost him followers. You know, people didn't always like what he had to say because he spoke the truth. You might not like what I'm saying today because I'm trying to share the truth. Jesus released his comfort when he spoke the truth. He ended up giving up his life because he was standing in the truth. That's what we talked about last week. Why? What was his motive? What was Jesus' interest? You know, we talk about the world really being driven by self-interest, what was the motivation? What was the drive of Jesus? Why should we trust him? Well, later on in the back and forth of Jesus and this critical audience, you see here in chapter 8, verse 54, Jesus says, if I glorify myself, if I was just about me, my glory means nothing. My father, whom you claim as your God, is the one who glorifies me. Though you do not know him, I know him. If I said I did not, I would be a liar like you. But I do know him and obey his word. Why trust Jesus? Jesus sought not himself. He sought the glory that comes only from God. His motive, his intention was to know God and obey his word, even if it meant that he had to release every worldly attachment and interest though he was paid back in lies and dishonor and suffering in this life he will be glorified above all the false figureheads and broken institutions of this world when every knee bows and every tongue confesses that he is Lord forevermore now for us who already confess him as Lord, for us who already bend a knee Jesus gives us a responsibility in this passage. There's a little aside, a very beautiful aside in this exchange. He's working with this critical audience. But it says that as Jesus was beginning to speak, there was a group that was believing what he was saying. And he addresses them, he addresses us in verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Everybody's familiar with the second half of that statement, right? You'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And it's used for a lot of different ideas, a lot of empty poetic sayings, because it rolls off the tongue real nice. But when you read it with the verse that came before it, you understand that you can't separate the two ideas. That there's a group that's believing what Jesus is saying, and he's like, that's great. You're in a great starting place, okay? But... If you really want to be my disciples, you've got to follow in my teaching. And when you follow in my teaching, you will know the truth that I'm speaking. And that truth will set you free. What sort of freedom is Jesus talking about for his genuine disciples? Because we love freedom in America. It can mean so many things to us. Is it the freedom of choice? Is that what Jesus is saying his disciples have? Is it the freedom to buy a gun? I mean, I know we love that freedom in America. Is that what Jesus is talking about? Have you become my disciple? Is it the freedom to join in the free for all, have no responsibility, have no attachments to anything, take what you want from the world for yourself? That kind of freedom? Is that what he's talking about? He's saying, No, if you believe in me and you apply yourself to my words and you show yourself to be my disciple, and you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's going to set you free from sin. It's going to set you free from self interest. It's going to set you free from your attachment to this world that is below so that you can live for the world that is above. We talk about the world that's below. Last year at Christmas time, Americans spent $707 billion. On consumer goods in this season, $707 billion is a number we can't even fathom. It makes no sense. It means nothing to us, right? Sometimes you can make sense of numbers when you can compare them to other numbers. So let me give you another statistic. They estimate on the highest end of the estimates, the highest end, you take the worst case scenario, we could solve world hunger for about $200 billion. $200 billion. Solve world hunger. Nobody's hungry anymore in the entire world. So You're telling me that Americans, just America, spent seven hundred seven billion last year, and you're telling me we could use like two hundred, solve world hunger, and still have five hundred billion for ourselves. Are you kidding me? But that's the self-interest. That's the pattern of this. That's the world that's below. That's the deceit. And Jesus says, "I can set you free from all that." You don't have to live subject to that anymore. You don't have to live in that pattern anymore. You can live for the world above. Some of you have had the privilege of working in a toxic work environment. There's quite a few of us out there. Maybe you're still in the trenches. You don't consider it a privilege, but I'll tell you the privilege of working in a toxic work environment is when you know you're done. That's the privilege. And some of you that have left the toxic work environment, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you're over it and the end is in sight and you've got your off-ramp out of that toxic work environment, you've never felt better. You've never held your head higher. You've never let anything roll off your back easier because you're not beholden to that world anymore, right? You know you're on your way out. Nothing troubles you. You got the high road out of town. Let me tell you, that is our experience in this world as followers of Jesus. This is a toxic environment of sin, in slavery to sin, following the native language of lies and deceit. And Jesus says, I have broken the power of this world over you. Because you have trusted in me, the work I did on the cross, the kingdom that is coming, you are no longer subject to this world. You are preparing for the world above. That's the world that you're living for. So you're still in the toxicity of this world, but you've got your ticket out of it. You're not beholden to it anymore. You don't need to pull all this anxiety and fear and stress and considerations from it because there is another world that's coming that now you are living for. You're set free. You're going to know the truth and it's going to set you free unlike anyone else in this world. Now, that isn't this license for us to just sort of cloister off as the church and just wait for our heavenly inheritance. Well, no, that'd just be living for our self-interest all over again. Jesus is saying, no, I've broken it on a macro scale. I've broken it on a micro scale. I've broken the power of sin over you so you don't have to live like everybody else. You can release your worldly attachments and you can live selflessly for the glory of God. So I want to challenge you. I want to be challenged with this question in this season. I want Jesus to speak truth to me, and I want Jesus to speak truth to us as a group of people. And my question is this. How can you, in this season, live for the interests of God? How can you, in this season, deliberately live for the interests of God? How does God want you to commemorate and celebrate his arrival in the world? Is it through gross excess spent on the self and the family? Is that the Christmas story of Jesus going from perfection? The word became flesh into pain and made his dwelling among us. He who knew no sin became sin for us that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the Christmas story. So Jesus says, I've broken the power. You're no longer slaves to sin, your sons and daughters. How are you going to celebrate this season? How are you going to commemorate my coming in this world? So I want us to seek answers to this question in prayer before the Lord, believing that Jesus, the same way he could speak truth then, he can speak truth to us by his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, the Spirit will guide you into all truth. He can reveal to us where we have been filled with self-interest, where we have lived for the world below. Not according to our Father in heaven. Jesus said, if you really want to be my disciples, hold to my teaching. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's so much freedom for us. Let's receive it. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you that though we live in a world where there's more lies and deceit and deception and half truths than we can even count, we can rely on you, you are trustworthy in all the matters of this world. There are going to be 200 people gathered here this morning, 200 different ideas, but we share one thing in common, the most important thing in common. We believe that you are the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus. I thank you that we can rely on you to be a light in darkness. When you speak, when you spoke, Jesus, you didn't speak out of your own self-interest. You gain nothing in this world. You live for the glory of your Father. And though it can be hard to hear at times, Lord, all we want, all we need, the only thing that sets us free is your truth. So Lord, would you speak it clearly to all of us this morning? We're asking, Lord, how can we all in this season live for the interests of you, for your glory, selflessly for you, Jesus, just as you live selflessly for God and on our behalf? God, we really believe by your Holy Spirit that you can speak directly to each person in this room. When we ask that question and we're really seeking an answer, you can reveal to us actions and values and pictures of what that's actually gonna look like in our lives. So Jesus, would you give those pictures and impressions and values and truths to my brothers and sisters, just as you give them to me. But how can we really celebrate what this arrival of you into the world really means? Break the power of sin, the pattern of sin. Break the anxieties and fears attached to this world. Free us, Jesus, to live for you, to live for your kingdom cause. just want to invite you to spend a few more moments really asking that question before the Lord, seeking direct actions, direct steps, things that Jesus wants to call you into, your family into in this season. Jesus, for those of us in here who haven't heard you direct us, I pray that we wouldn't stop asking these questions until we do. And I pray for those that have heard you lead and guide, that we would walk in your teaching. Not just here, but apply ourselves to it. And then we're going to know the truth. We're going to be set free by your truth. I pray this in Jesus' name. You stand with me as we begin to worship. and There's so much to worship Jesus for. We can rely on him, the truthfulness, the genuineness, the fact that we are set free. So much to worship for. Let's praise him and let's emulate him and apply ourselves to his example. Thanks so much for listening to the Branches HB podcast. For more information on Branches, you can visit our website at BranchesHB.com or stay up to date with us on Instagram at BranchesHB. As always, we'd love to have you at one of our Sunday gatherings. So come visit us at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m. Locations are available on our website. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.